Well, I kind of mentioned it or alluded to it earlier when I had that second initial ACL injury and my first thought was, how did this happen so easily? Um, from that point on, once I met the athletic trainer who changed my life, <laughs> uh, he started teaching me the why, like why I was doing this, why it was important, what it was useful for. And I just started realizing how powerful and amazing the human body was or is. Uh, and I was just fascinated. And really from then on, it was my mission to prevent this from happening to others. Hi, I'm Jenna Minecci, founder of GenActive, an ACL injury prevention company and support network. I'm also the author of the book, Surviving Seven, the expert guide to ACL surgery, recovery, rehabilitation, and prevention. And you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. This week I'm excited to bring you uh, Jenna Minecci, who is the founder of GenActive, an ACL prevention company and support network. She's also the author of the book Surviving 7, The Expert's Guide to ACL Surgery, Recovery, Rehabilitation, and Prevention. And I, I've taken a look at her story and her, her Instagram posts, and she definitely has uh, the experience, and she is the expert on this uh, ACL surgery, recovery, and rehabilitation and prevention. Uh, so Jenna, can you start off by uh, talking about your ACL history and really the why behind everything that you do? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it's a long history, so <laughs> bear with me here. But um, basically, I played soccer as a child. I was obsessed with Mia Hamm. So it was kind of my biggest goal to be the next Mia Hamm. That was sort of the fuel behind my fire. <laughs> okay. Um, so I started playing really competitive soccer around age 11 or 12. And when I was 13 years old, I ended up tearing my ACL. It was kind of an interesting, uh, the way it happened, we were at the end of a tournament. We had the last game. If we won that game, we would win the whole tournament. And our goalkeeper got hurt. So our coach realized I was the only girl on the team who could actually catch the ball. So therefore, I was the sub goalie. <laughs> All right. Um. So my only description really was, hey, as soon as somebody comes in the box with the ball, I want you to charge them and take the ball from them. And I said, okay, yes, sir. Yes, coach. I got it. Just so like sure enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Listen to coach, right? <laughs> um, so sure enough, uh, basically, we had a great defense, so I didn't have to do much all game. And the one time that somebody brought the, goal, uh, the ball into the box, I charged, as coach said, and I went straight for the ball, and I got the ball, and uh, subsequently tore my ACL in the process. <laughs> um, but I didn't know it, so I kind of went to go punt the ball, and uh, it was my punting leg, and the ball just hit my foot and just flopped to the ground. So it was kind of that moment of like, oh, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> so, so was the initial one a contact injury because you went after the ball, or? Yes. Um, so I actually, in the process, I tore my labrum in my hip as well as my ACL. This was my right leg. Um, and it took about three months for them to diagnose the injury because I was pretty, um, besides swelling, uh, I really didn't have many symptoms. I could walk after the injury. Um, so it took a while. It was kind of rough, not really knowing what was wrong with me for so long. Yeah. I, I can imagine that. You said you were how old at, the, at this, for with this injury? I was 13. I was finishing up eighth grade. All right. So going into high school. Uh, uh huh. All right. So what was the recovery like from this one? Um, it was pretty, pretty easy. Uh, at this point in my life, I really had never heard of ACL or ACL surgery or, you know, what is an ACL? And, um, so it wasn't as frightening as maybe athletes face today when it's such a popular and grueling injury. Um, but uh, it, it was interesting. It was kind of once you get tar discharged from insurance, they're kind of like, okay, you know, good luck. Have fun on your own. 
and looking back now that I know what I know, there was there was no way I was ready to rehab myself on my own at that point. So it's kind of a shame with the insurance limitations, uh, kind of what happens to athletes, you know? So can you describe like what about your game or your physical abilities were not ready to go back to sport yet or to be discharged from PT? Um, well, everything, this was maybe two months out of the surgery. So, uh, I wasn't very strong yet. I still had compensations from one leg to the other. Um, the, the physical therapist basically taught me how to run again and then said, okay, bye, this is all you get. Um, and at that point, you know, I'm sure my parents would have helped, uh, out of pocket and helped me, you know, get the training I needed, but none of us knew better. None of us knew that we weren't finished yet. So, um, that, I feel like that's kind of a big lack in, um, in education is just people think, oh, I'm done with my physical therapy. I'm done healing. And and that's not really the case. So, Yeah. I, I come from a PT background. Not that I'm a physical therapist, but I worked in a PT facility for a couple of years. And I can't believe that your therapist would just let you go and say like, not, I mean, it's one thing that your insurance ran out and maybe that was the thing, but he, he it wasn't like they were saying, yes, your insurance ran out, but now you need to continue to do something because you're not ready yet. It's just like you're on your own. Right. Well, most physical therapists would never do that. Um, so I'm not trying to give PT a bad name by any means. Uh, but th this guy was young and not really on it. And he would forget which leg I had surgery on, which to me, I was kind of like, come on, man, like <laughs> this is your job, you know? So, right. um, usually there's a scar there that, uh, w w was yeah. a good reminder if you're, if you're unsure. Exactly. <laughs> so that, that was definitely eye opening once I, once I found a better PT and kind of saw the difference in that. So, um, so what you had to wait till the year ran out and your insurance plan renewed and then you went back to PT or what was kind of the progression back yeah. to, uh, soccer? Well, at this point I had started my uh, freshman year of high school so my biggest goal was to make the high school soccer team. And I was I was on a mission. I was so determined not to let this slow me down. So I started going to the local elementary school after school every day and running sprints and practicing ball handling drills and practicing all kinds of stuff on my own because I just knew I had to make up for all the lost time and all the girls were continuing to progress while I was regressing, so I kind of was trying to play catch up. Um, and and while so you were doing kinda... and while you were doing that, did you feel like, you know, you were definitely lacking, or did you feel like, oh no, I got this? Like, um, it went day to day. Honestly, some days I would feel like, yeah, okay, I'm back to my old self. This was great. And other days I would kind of uh, there'd be a, a real big delay on my right leg, and I just. I couldn't get it to work as fast and I didn't understand why. And it, so there were definitely really frustrating days and painful days. Um, I don't feel like I ever really got my speed back. That was something I really felt. I just was always slower. All right. Uh, so what, what was next in the progression? You went to tryouts and, and then what happened? Uh, yeah. So high school soccer tryouts, I was, I was super determined and, um, basically I, <clears throat> I, well, actually, so I'm a little out of order here. So the tryouts were the following year and before the tryouts happened, I ended up tearing my ACL on the other knee. Um, so I was not able to try out for my team, for my high school team, my freshman year. Um, so I tore the ACL, MCL and meniscus on my left knee because I returned to playing just like a rec league because I sort of realized I wasn't quick enough to really join my select travel team anymore. Um, and so this left ACL injury was actually a non-contact injury. And me and my friends were just goofing off at practice. And so it was pretty unfortunate when it happened. I knew I knew what it felt like. And it was kind of like, oh, you know, tryouts are in, in two or three weeks. Like, I, I can't try out now. I can't play now. Uh, so that was pretty devastating. Um but I was able to try out the following year, my sophomore year. 
So, so what was like your mental and emotional status like going, you know, from getting the second one and on the other leg? Like you, you already feel like you never made it back to full capacity, I guess, from the first one. And then before you even get a chance to get there, you hurt the other one. So like what what's going through your head at this point? It was honestly utter shock. Um, when I first felt it, I knew instantly. And my first reaction was I laughed. I kind of just thought there's no way impossible that this could happen to me twice like this. And really, I just thought it happened so easily. Like, how could this happen so easily? And so I kind of just was laughing. I was so shocked. And my coach came over to me. And by that point, I was shaking because I started realizing what happened. And um, everyone on the sidelines was just, oh, you're fine. You're fine. I'm like, you know, no, I need surgery. And, you know, so it uh, it, it was shock and it was kind of disbelief because nobody really understood the severity of it. And I did. So I kind of just felt like, oh my gosh, this again, and I'm alone in all this again. And it was just, uh, it was a lot, especially as a 14 year old. I mean, a lot of emotions there. So yeah, um, without the injuries. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, <laughs> so I guess this, this injury was, I guess, worse than the first one. It sounds like, right? Yes. Uh, this was the ACL, MCL and meniscus. And I remember thinking it was so painful that by the time my mom picked me up, I kind of looked at her and said, Hey, you know, I know that with ACL injuries, we don't need to go to the ER because they can't really do anything for you. But what if my leg is broken? I mean, this hurts so bad. And then I said, Hey, I hope my leg is broken. Like I'd rather break my leg than tear my ACL. And so we kind of, we kind of talked it over and we ended up realizing that it was the ACL and we were just going to go home and we got a milkshake. And that was kind of my coping mechanism that night. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Whatever works. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. So you, you realize that it's, it's the ACL and based off of both of your ACL stories to this point, this is the first time you really talked about the pain. Like, it seems like you kind of laughed it off and shrugged it off, you know, for the most part. Um, but how painful is it? I guess like I've never torn my ACL before, but I can imagine it doesn't feel too good. It's funny because both injuries felt different. Um, you know, you kind of feel a slight uh, pinching, pulling kind of feeling, uh, kind of a sharp pain deep in your knee. Um, with my first injury, I feel like I had the addition of actually making that save that I really didn't feel pain. Um, with that injury, I was kind of goofing off. So it, it really, um, the pain was a lot more intense. Uh, it truly felt like somebody had basically stuck a knife in my knee and just left it there. I mean, that was basically the best way to describe it. Just just burning, throbbing, every pain all wrapped in one. (laughs) Um, all right. It was a lot more intense than the first for sure. (laughs) I'm sure, I'm sure people listening to this, uh, could, could resonate with what you're, you're saying here. Uh, so, with this second injury, how did you approach like finding a doctor and finding a physical therapy place? Cause obviously you seem like you weren't very happy with the first outcome. So right. what, what was, how did you approach this one differently? So honestly, and unfortunately at this point, I still didn't really know better. Um, this was sort of the turning point that I started doing my own research. Um, but unfortunately, I did not do that research before this procedure. So I went with the same surgeon. Um, about halfway through my rehab, though, I ended up being in so much pain that this surgeon really couldn't figure out what the deal was and where my pain was coming from. So he referred me to uh, the athletic trainer that I'm still very, very close with to this day, who basically introduced me to the next round of surgeons. And he was the one who realized that my first initial surgeries were failed. And and that was why I was in so much pain. So, Um, so, So kind of the first surgeon led me to the athletic trainer who led me to the second surgeon. (laughs) Gotcha. So the first surgeon did your first two surgeries, right? Yes. And in what ways did they, did these surgeries fail? And like, how did they know that they were failed surgeries? 
So um, these surgeries were both a patella tendon graft, which basically means that they're taking a, a small piece of the bone in your kneecap and using that to use as a new ACL for you to kind of create a graft. Um, they're, they're known for having really strong uh, outcomes, which I think was why this surgeon chose that for me being such a young athlete. Um, but unfortunately, the angle that the surgeon drilled the tunnels at was the wrong angle. So they have to drill a tunnel in your uh, tibia and your femur in order to basically screw in the new graft. And so those tunnel angles were so malpositioned that it caused the graft to just stretch out. Um, so kind of picture every step you take, it gets a little looser and a little looser. So at first, it's not very symptomatic. And then a year later, you're like, gosh, I'm in so much pain. What's wrong with me? You know, um, but that's the interesting part where you said, how did we know it was failed? Because uh, you really, there's many different ways to define failure. So this surgeon would have never really said, hey, this is a failed graft because technically I never retore it. Um, but also on the flip side, it was a non-functioning graft. So if you want to define failure as it not actually working, then then yeah, uh, that's where the, the athletic trainer was able to do the Lockman's test on me and say, yeah, there's no endpoint to your ACL. There's nothing here. Right. So there's right. kind of different ways to define failure. <laughs> All right. So what if, like based off of what you went through, I know you, you've had subsequent surgeries since this point in time, but that, that we're just, that we're talking about, mm -hmm. but what would you advise someone who just tore their ACL? Like, how to look for a surgeon like can you research their you know outcomes you know percentage like percentage of successful outcomes or is it based off of referrals or you said that you found this athletic trainer who you trusted and led you in the right direction like I guess it was it your lack of knowledge the first time that you know the first two times that kind of led to the bad outcome yeah like, definitely um and you know I don't mean this in any disregard to surgeons, but all of them have a totally different technique for their surgeries, um, which is gr great. But at the same time, some techniques work better for others. And there's obviously many, many factors that go into that. But um, I think the general public is so trusting of, oh, you're you're an orthopedic surgeon. You went to med school. Um, I trust you. I need ACL surgery. So, you know, do my ACL surgery. And we never really think of the long-term repercussions because we're more so thinking of, I want to get back to my sport, right? We're just thinking of the short term. Um, so I would really advise people to do their research first and foremost, make sure that you're finding an orthopedic surgeon that's actually specializing in ACL reconstruction. Um, on top of that, you can actually interview your surgeon and make sure that they perform a certain number of these surgeries per year. Um, when you get into really rural areas, there can be surgeons that might only do five ACL surgeries a year. And, you know, no disrespect to that surgeon, but I really want somebody who's operating on my knee who does these all the time, who's really proficient at this. So, the best advice for this is to find a surgeon who does at least 50 to 100 ACL reconstructions every year. That way they're on top of their craft and, and they're very, very highly skilled at it. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's, um, that's great advice. What, what other question, <laughs> what other questions uh, should um, an ACL patient ask the surgeon in this interview that, that you, uh, you talked about? So uh, the other big question to ask is to make sure the surgeon is sports medicine certified or that they've done a fellowship in sports medicine. Um, basically, a full year of that sports medicine, medicine fellowship is focused on ACL surgery and reconstruction. So those surgeons that, that might not have that sports medicine fellowship don't get that extra training. So that's a huge question. Make sure that they've done that sports medicine fellowship as well. Okay. Um, the other big uh, thing that's coming up more recently is they're doing a lot of research regarding the placement of the graft. So I spoke about how my graft failed because the tunnels were at the wrong angle. Um, so a lot of it is 
basically your entire outcome of your longevity for this surgery is based solely on the placement of those tunnels. And we need to make sure that A, they're placed anatomically, um, B, they're placed uh, separately or they're drilled separately. So they, instead of drilling one big tunnel all the way, you know, from the bottom of your knee to the top of your knee, that they drill two separate anatomic tunnels. That's huge. Um, I honestly wouldn't recommend anyone to have a surgery where it's not two separate anatomic tunnels. <laughs> and when you say anatomic tunnel, does that just mean that it's a tunnel like designed specifically for that person or? Pretty much. Yeah. They're able to go in and see the footprint of where that, uh, the ACL you were born with, they call the native ACL where that attachment was. And based on that attachment and that angle, they can drill the tunnel at the right angle to basically mimic and, and replicate your natural ACL as best as possible. Okay. Which is also going to help with preventing subsequent injuries because you don't want all of the um, kinematics of your knee to be off. So the closer you can get to your, your normal anatomy, the better. Okay. Uh, and it really took them 20 years of research to figure that out. So they're, like I said, they're just now figuring that out. So a lot of us didn't have that research 10 and 15 years ago, unfortunately. Right. Uh, so can you like tell us where we are at, at this point in your story? So you had, uh, you had uh, your, <laughs> first AC, I know. <laughs> your first ACL at 13 years old, right? Then you uh-huh. tore it again at 15? Okay. Yeah. So uh, the first ACL, uh, so right and left knee, um, I had surgery at age 14, um, patella tendon graft in the right knee, and then age 15, patella tendon graft in the left knee. Okay. Um, And so that's where I kind of get to the point where I'm in all this pain, I can't progress my rehab, and I go see this new athletic trainer. Um, He finds out that these these two graphs have failed, uh, and sends me to another surgeon. So my junior year of high school, I have a revision surgery on my right knee. Um, this surgery was a cadaver graft. Um, at the time, this surgeon told me that because of everything I'd been through, the cadaver would be the best way to go for, uh, the healing process. So I had that surgery my junior year. Why is that? Like with the cadaver? um, So the cadaver, basically they're taking a donor tissue. So it's from a cadaver. uh, And so the surgery is a lot less invasive because they're not having to harvest the graft from your own body. So typically the surgery is better for people who are over the age of 60 as they can't really handle an intense recovery and they're not going to really be doing as much on their knees. Um, But in 2003, they published literature that shows that about 46% of cadaver ACL grafts fail. Uh, And that's pretty much where I'm at now. I had a cadaver graft in each knee per recommendation of my surgeon my junior and senior year of high school. And that was 10 years ago. Uh, And so I basically lived on those ACLs, those knees for 10 years in all this pain. And and again, didn't know why. Uh, And had lunch with my athletic trainer. And he looked at my knee earlier this May. And he said, yeah, Jenna, I hate to tell you this again, but there's no end point to your ACL in this Lachman's test. And you know, you, you've got nothing in there. So we've got to look at a surgery again. So, um, more or less the, the cadavers have a less likely chance to revascularize, which basically means because it's foreign tissue to your body, your body will either take it in as new tissue and vascularize and create new blood cells, or it will reject the tissue and you'll basically have a failed graft sitting in there. That's, that's non-functional. Okay, so you you get this you get this revision in uh, your junior and senior year of high school, and I'm assuming that's on both of your knees, no? Yes. So okay. I had re- revision one junior year, revision two senior year. Okay, we got that. So then, ten years later, which is where we are now, so I guess we're the same mm-hmm. age, like twenty seven ish. Yep. Yep. Now you're, you're, you're experiencing a failed surgery from those revisions. 
Yes. So why – I'm just thinking because you obviously were an active person, a very yes. active person up until your injuries. And so why did this second surgeon who did these revisions – opt to go with the cadaver knowing that you are an active person to be honest i don't get it um i don't know uh and i when i first found out the reason for my pain the past 10 years was because of the failed graft i i just couldn't believe it i kind of attributed it to oh i've had four acl surgeries of course i'm gonna hurt but um that wasn't obviously that wasn't the case. And if you have a good surgery, you shouldn't be in pain. Um, but truly I I had to just, I can't dwell on that. I'm never going to be able to change his decision or the fact that I didn't know better to say that I didn't want a cadaver. And, um, I just had to let it go. Uh, somehow all of this led me to writing a book for athletes. And maybe if this, I didn't use those cadavers, I would never be able to help others. So um, I just have to kind of go with what's in the present, what I can control, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's a great way to approach it. And you're definitely using the things that you've suffered from to prevent the suffering of others. And to me, that's kind of what life's all about. Uh, you, you, you live and learn and hopefully someone will listen to you so they don't make the same mistakes that, that you made um, in, yeah. in, in their life. So, you know, Going back to high school, like, mm-hmm. what was it like you, what was it like for you mentally and emotionally to, you know, I saw in, in uh, your manuscript that you talked about wanting to be, wanting to play for the University of Tennessee, uh, to play soccer for, for that team. It was your mom's uh, school where she graduated from. And they also have the best fight song in college football, I think. Rocky Top, <laughs> it's, a, it's yes, a good one. yes. So, so I could see why you wanted to go there, but I mean, I, I can relate to, I, I feel like I can probably relate to how you feel because I feel like I got my college sports dreams taken away from my injury as well. So how did you deal with that mentally and emotionally throughout this time, you know, constantly on crutches in high school? Like what, what, what was your uh, approach or did you have bad days? You know, what, what, what brought you up? Uh, well, I kind of mentioned it or alluded to it earlier when I had that second initial ACL injury. And my first thought was, how did this happen so easily? Um, From that point on, once I met the athletic trainer who changed my life, (laughs) uh, he started teaching me the why, like why I was doing this, why it was important, what it was useful for. And I just started realizing how powerful and amazing the human body was or is. Uh, And I was just fascinated. And really, from then on, it was my mission to prevent this from happening to others. Um, I was only 14 or 15, but I went ahead and uh, I knew my playing career was over. Um, But I went up and visited the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and met with the, um, I guess, one of the head of the kinesiology department and told her my mission, told her my dream and my story and just said, is this program right for me? Is this, you know, can I get what I want out of this? And um, I pretty much had my application in for college when I was like 16. And just I I just knew I was still meant to be there. I I could still help athletes even if I couldn't play. And um, so I kind of just put all my energy into changing these stats for other athletes. that's really that cool. That was my driving force. Yeah, it's really <laughs> cool. You like re-identified like almost immediately with a new mission, a new purpose. Like you, you know, all the energy that you put into soccer, you kind of channeled it into um, what you're doing today, you're still doing today, and trying to prevent what happened mm-hmm. uh, to you. Uh, did yeah. you ever deal with like loneliness throughout some of your recoveries, like being away from a team setting and just you know in doing physical therapy and in the training room and you know, like, how'd you kind of deal with, with, with that stuff? Yeah, that was one of the hardest parts, honestly, because this was back then when there was no social media, really. So there was no way for me to go connect with all these people around the world who were having this injury. Um, I was kind of shy in high school, too. So it kind of ended up being most of the kids in my class would, oh, you're that girl who keeps having knee surgery. Like, what's wrong with you? And it, you know, it 
it, it kind of hits you hard. You kind of take it offensively when you shouldn't. And um, that was definitely the biggest struggle and kind of people would complain about doing PE class or running sprints. And all I thought was, gosh, I, what I would give to be able to run, you know? So it was hard for me to relate to my peers because I kind of felt like they complained a lot and they didn't appreciate their working legs. And that's not a perspective you really get as a teenager often. So I think I, I was very wise beyond, beyond my years. And that kind of it kept me fueled, but it, it also kept me pretty secluded from from team sports and having tons and tons of friends. So it was um, um, difficult, but my friends, my close friends helped the most because any time that I had surgery, they would come stay with me for weeks at a time and they would come bring me homework. I had one girl that basically packed a bag and lived with me in my room besides when she would go to school while I recovered so that I didn't feel alone. And that was huge because if you're laying there in bed miserable, but somebody's laying there in bed with you going, hey, I'm right here. It was just kind of like, how can you be upset? You know, um, that was so big for me. So uh, and she was happy to do it. She was happy to lay there and just, hey, I love you. So let's hang out. I don't care if you're sur you're having surgery and you're hurting. So um, that was that was really big. You guys still friends today? We are. Yeah, she she lives up in Boston now, but we're still pretty close. <laughs> not distance wise, but <laughs> emotionally. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Not distance wise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so you you talked about this one low point in uh in your recovery in, in in your manuscript that you were nice enough to let me take a look at um it, it was when you were running on the track team i guess when you kind of decided that you weren't gonna or you you, you didn't make the the soccer team and then you were running on the track and uh i think like yeah can you, can you talk about that that story well um, I did not, I was able to try out for the high school soccer team my sophomore year. Um, I had my knee brace on and it was very frustrating because I felt like all of the coaches weren't even paying attention. It kind of seemed like their entire roster was already selected and they really had no open eyes for, for someone new like me. So that was hard. Um, and when I didn't make the team, I was devastated, but, uh, I guess, again, with what I'd been through, I just was so appreciative to be able to run and move that I knew the track team wanted bodies and they wouldn't turn me down. And I knew I had this goal of trying to get faster. So I joined the track team as a sprinter, even though I hated sprinting. I hated it so much. <laughs> um, it's, so it shocks me to this day that I did that. Um, and there was one day at track practice where I was running the 100 and the 200 and I, of course, as many soccer girls can relate, was decked out in all my soccer gear because that was kind of all I owned was soccer T-shirts and stuff. And the soccer coach just so happened to be watching the track practice. And he walks up to me all casually and he's like, hey, hey, you're really fast. Why didn't you try out for the soccer team? And I kind of looked at him and I said, coach, I was there. I was the girl in the knee brace, remember? And he immediately, you could tell with his face that he recognized, he knew who I was, and his, his face kind of glazed over, like, once he heard the word knee brace, just, oh, okay, yeah, okay, sorry about that, and just walked away. And it was just, that was a really low point for me, because I kind of realized in any type of sport, I not only had these limitations against me internally and physically, but people on the outside would judge me and not think that I had the same abilities or the same drive or the same capabilities. So that was extremely eye-opening um, and and humbling for me. I mean, that's a, a mature way to, to take that in. I would probably be in tears crying on my mom after something like that, but... <laughs> Well, I probably was, but in retrospect, I was also kind of like, yes, he thought I was fast. Like that was my weakness. And so I was kind of, I was pissed because I thought, gosh, I know I was good enough to be on that team. And I had been a team manager the, the year previous just to prove myself, even though I was on crutches the whole time and that still wasn't enough. So it, it was a good growing moment because it also kind of taught me that lesson of, if you don't see my worth and my value, then you're not worth my time anyway, type of thing. So it was sort of 
it was hard in the moment, but it was a big lesson for sure. Really cool. Uh, so have you ever had like, since your injuries and your revision surgeries, do you ever have like negative thoughts that, that come into your head? And, and if so, like, how do you try to eliminate those thoughts? Um, oh my gosh, every day. <laughs> uh, I'm human, right? So we all, we all think negatively. That's sort of our first reaction. But um, I think my big thing in high school is I would kind of sort of get a bunch of negatives and kind of then get them down in the dumps and sort of let them control me. And I started actually chanting the words patience and persistence to myself. And I would do my rehab or ice or whatever I was doing in that moment. And if I got discouraged, I would just repeat it over and over. Patience, persistence, patience, persistence. And I would literally do it until I believed it, until I was so excited and happy with it that I was shouting. Um, And sometimes it took a while to believe it. And other days it worked instantly. It it was definitely a process. Um, And it's interesting learning from what I did in high school and then approaching this second, third, third round of surgeries. Now, um, I know what I'm getting into. I, I know what's ahead of me. And I, I will say, I think I've truly changed my life based on what I've done to mentally prepare for these surgeries. Um, um, so this go around, I've started really working on positive affirmations and, uh, actually 151 days ago, I started a journal and every morning, the first thing I do when I wake up is I write down about 30 or 40 positive affirmations. Some of them are long-term. Some of them are in the moment of, of something I want to conquer today. Um, it just depends, but it's different phrases uh, like I can, I am, and I will statements, very empowering. So, um, and I write them down every single day. Uh, and then what happens if I have a bad day and I'm upset and I'm negative and I'm frustrated, I pull out this list that I wrote in the morning. And again, I recite them over and over until I believe it, until it's all that I think of. And I just totally changed my thought process. And I've accomplished more in the past 151 days than I probably have in the past five years. And I attribute it all to that journaling and those affirmations. It's, it's amazing. Wow. That's, <laughs> so, that's really powerful. <laughs> um, so I know that you, yeah. <laughs> you studied uh, kinesiology and exercise science at uh, University of Tennessee, right? Yes. Yep. And you're now working as like a per- as a personal trainer, correct? Yes. So can you kind of tell us about how you're changing the world of knees today, like from a hands-on uh, perspective? Um, well, a couple ways. Um, I have a book that's about to come out in a matter of days called Surviving Seven. Uh, and that's basically my goal with this is to be a step-by-step guide for any anyone approaching ACL surgery. Um, it's going to help them with anything from mindset to finding the right surgeon to um, learning how to use crutches, uh, prepping your house for surgery. I mean, so many different things that you really wouldn't think of until you go through it and you sort of perfect the process, right? And I've definitely perfected the process. So, um, so that's one way. Um, uh, the other way in person, I live in Atlanta, so I take on, uh, clients and personal training clients that are usually post rehabilitation. Uh, and most of this is people with either previous ACL injuries or a chronic knee pain. And I do different, um, testing on them to basically determine, where they're weak, what type of compensations they have, and then I design a program for them to uh, reach their goals, whether their goals are to be pain-free or to return to basketball or, um, you know, kind of customize that for them. Um, And the third thing is I started a website and blog kind of slash social media for – kind of as you word it for for ACL injury prevention awareness, as well as just support for anyone facing the surgery. Um, so blogs and everything on there. So I'm kind of trying to approach it at every angle and try to help people 
when they're at home and they're not around their physical therapist and, and kind of just give advice in any way that I can. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest with the, the listeners here, like literally anything that you could possibly think of for that <laughs> regarding an ACL injury, this manuscript has it. So it's definitely like a, a must read for anyone going through the process or know someone who's going through the process. Um, so I'm excited to help pr- promote this book and, and get it out there for, for athletes who are struggling. Um, so what mastery skills, you kind of alluded to this before, what mastery skills have you developed throughout all of these surgeries and the crutches and, and, and all that? Uh, well, definitely crutches. I will say I'm a crutch master. <laughs> um, I used to race people in high school and they weren't allowed to sprint obviously cause I was on crutches, but they would fast jog and I would beat them on my crutches. It was pretty impressive. Uh, but, uh, you know, navigating crutches in high school was not easy because you have to get on the school bus and you have to go sideways through the aisles of the school bus. And so it's a totally different ball game, um, as far as the crutch game goes. (laughs) Um, but I'd also like to say I'm a mindset master. I mean, I definitely have my struggles with that and, and weaknesses regarding that, which is why it takes daily practice. But, um, I've learned so much through these injuries and setbacks that that I know because I'm able to control my mindset, I can conquer anything. And uh, that's kind of fueled me to have the confidence to apply to get my doctorate in physical therapy, which I never had before. And um, it's truly changed my life, as I said before. So um, uh, also ACL rehab and recovery expert. Um, that kind of goes without speaking. <laughs> Like I said before, I've kind of perfected the process. I, Once I know the surgery is coming, I have all these lists of things to prep my food to be ready, to make sure my bathroom is safe, to you know have stuff lined up, people ready to walk my dog. I mean, there's so many things you don't think about that you end up having that slow you down that I kind of know what to expect. So I really just have that process just totally mastered. <laughs> So, yeah, it's, 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 you've been through a tremendous amount and I, <laughs> I commend you for all the work that you're doing and the, the passion behind what you're doing is, is, is truly amazing. Um, can we talk about some of the, I guess, things that most people probably don't know about ACL injuries, um, that you, you alluded to in, in your manuscript and specifically one that I uh, was interesting that I saw was, uh, the relationship between hormones and ACL injuries. Ah, yes, this is a big one. Um, Unfortunately, it's one we can't really change because, you know, males and females need their specific hormones for for very obvious and specific reasons. But um, it's definitely something to be aware of, especially as a female athlete, because once you hit puberty, your body is going to change tremendously, which means that your mechanics will change. So your your body movements on and off the playing field will change. a few things. So the male athlete hits puberty and increase in testosterone makes them a stronger athlete, which makes them a little safer in their sports. Usually, um, female athletes hit puberty and the increase of estrogen actually increases the amount of fat in our bodies, which makes us weaker and a little more susceptible for injury. Um, Also, which is interesting, um, they're finding new studies that show that estrogen actually has the ability to bind to the ACL. Um, The ACL is kind of made more mostly of collagen. And so the the estrogen will bind to the ACL and cause it to weaken over time. Um, So I thought that was extremely interesting. And obviously, we're not going to try to take all the estrogen out of female athletes, but that's going to show why strength training and prevention training is so important because we can help change some of these things to make you a little stronger so that this estrogen isn't going to be a factor. Um, the other, sorry, one more interesting thing is at a certain phase in the menstrual cycle, all of the ligaments in a woman's body go extremely lax or extremely loose. And this is only at one phase every month, but it's supposed to prepare us for childbirth one day because we have to be able to, um, you know, birth the baby through the birthing canal. Um, So 
imagine you're playing volleyball or basketball and you're at that phase in your cycle where all of your ligaments are lax, you're kind of like Gumby out there. You're just floppy and you know, this may or may not contribute to your injury, but it's definitely a factor and and an increased risk for sure. I mean, yeah, that's incredible. But like you said, like these are all things that you can't always, you can't really control, but with strength training and, and injury prevention stuff that you teach your clients, uh, you can try to combat some of those things. So, so what are some of the exercises that you have your clients do um, to try to I guess, compensate for, for the estrogen levels or its relationship to ACL injuries? Um, well, it definitely pretends on, um, depends on the person for sure. Uh, I try to customize everything, but, um, just general basic program for a female athlete would be a couple of things we want to reinforce. First and foremost, the, um, posterior chain in a female athlete. So like the glutes and hamstrings on the backside of the body are typically a lot weaker than in male athletes. And those are the muscles that really uh, control your your safety mechanisms when you're trying to slow down um, from accelerating. So strengthening those muscles for female athletes is huge. And that also kind of goes into somebody who just is a weekend warrior and plays pickup sports. If they sit a lot in their desk job and their posterior chain is very weak, they'll be a little more susceptible to injuries as well. The other huge thing for female athletes is practicing um, landing, like jumping and landing mechanics, as well as change of direction mechanics. Because women have wider hips after puberty, our, our wider hips contribute to different mechanics of our lower body, which usually causes female athletes to uh, not get as low when they're in sports. So, um when you get low, like in a low squat position, you're in a really safe position to absorb shock forces and things. And male athletes typically have an easier time getting in that position and it's more natural for them than the female athlete. So reinforcing the mechanics, teaching the female athlete how to get low, why it's important, how to land from a layup or a jump, and then how to successfully land and change direction and practicing that constantly is huge. Yeah. And that's, that's something that, you know, it's probably learned over time as well. So like the more repetitions you can get, the more likelihood you're going to land correctly. So for uh, sure, for sure. And can, can you explain the different type of graphs that are available? Like, I know there's like, I feel like there's like a million different options. So it's like, how, mm-hmm. how, how do you choose? We already talked about the cadaver one and how that might be inferior. Um, right. Um, I guess, uh, so cadaver is the basic oligraft. So um, like I said before, it means that you're taking a donor graft tissue. So it's not your own tissue. Um, those, those are better graft types for older people or people who aren't active. Um, the pros of this is it's a little easier for your recovery because it's not as invasive. Uh, but the con is there's a much higher failure rate. So it, it kind of depends on the risk you're willing to take with that. Um, there's also a, uh, hamstring graft which uh, with the research I've done, I truly believe hamstring graft is the way to go if at all possible. They also use the hamstring graft a lot in Tommy John surgeries because it's so resilient and easy to um, recover from. Uh, So this is great because the hamstrings uh, are, you're going to be your own tissue. So it's much more likely to revascularize and and create a good sound graft. Um, There's also a new procedure more recently that is a quadriceps tendon graft. Um, So pros and cons for the quadriceps tendon. um, Some people think that it's better for female athletes to use the quadriceps tendon tend to be very quad dominant. So kind of what I was alluding to before, female athletes are more likely to have weaker hamstrings. Um, So some people think by using the quad tendon graft, it's a lot easier to recover from the surgery because you're not going to get as much uh, atrophy in your hamstrings. But the con to this surgery is your quads are so much more necessary for all of your body mechanics, walking, squatting, running. 
your hamstrings really control for stability in those things. So, um, you know, having the quad removed, part of the quad removed like that makes for a much, much harder time to get your quads to refire again and strengthen again, which for an athlete is really not good. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say from personal experience, I had, uh, an osteochondral defect like two or three years ago and I had something called an oats procedure and, I, that's been the big, it's basically, it's similar to like an ACL surgery and like how they cut your knee, but basically they like Mm -hmm. plug the cartilage holes with like cartilage that they got from uh, a non-weight bearing surface of my femur. And the biggest issue I've had is getting my quad to work. And like I had severe kneecap pain for months after uh, the surgery, which is completely unrelated to the pain I had before surgery. Uh, and it was all because my kneecap just like wasn't tracking right because parts of my quad were just like dead. And yeah. So yeah. what you're saying, like it's hundred percent true. So maybe that if someone who's trying to get back to a sport, that might not be the best option. Right. Quads are super essential and, and really they're much harder to regain strength to than the hamstrings. So yes, that's definitely something to keep in mind when you're trying to choose a graft type. Um, And then there is also the patella tendon graft, which I mentioned, that was my first round of surgeries. Um, This one has a very good reputation because they use part of your patella or your kneecap. And so they actually use a piece of like bony tendon in order to recreate your your new ACL. Um, The pros of this is, you know, it it makes a really strong graft, Um, but also with my research, when you think about it, the ACL is made mostly of collagen and you're trying to replace it with something made mostly of bone and, and bony fibers. So uh, trying to get the normal kinematics of your knee back, uh, is again, that poses a big question in my mind, but the other con for the, uh, patella graft is because they're harvesting it from your kneecap it's much more likely that you'll have a lot of pain if you try to kneel down. And uh, I actually have a hole still in my kneecap on my, on both of my knees. And I, I cannot bend down at all. Um, I cannot kneel down whatsoever. It's extremely painful. And those surgeries were, you know, 13 something years ago. So um, that's another thing to think about for choosing that graft type. Uh, Um, What kind of graft are you getting for your revision surgeries coming up? I am using my hamstring tendon. So I'm, it's funny, it's taken me three rounds to finally get what, what my doctor and I truly believe is the best graft type, but um, third time's the charm, right? (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that. So, Um, so what's your advice for setting realistic expectations after injury, like how do you talk to your clients who are kind of going through the ACL rehab process? Um, well, first and foremost, try your hardest not to compare yourself to others because every single body is going to react differently. Um, like I said, those graph types all have different reactions and different pros and cons. So you can't, you can't compare your patella graph to somebody's hamstring graph to, you know, so, Um, that's the big thing. Uh, but also set small goals. Don't rush yourself, uh, and really focus on the process. Focus on what you can do week to week and setting small milestones week to week. And then you'll reach those larger milestones. Um, I found it to be difficult to focus on, okay, I can't run until this day. And then again, you're turning it to the negative. So instead of focusing on when you can run again, focus more on, all right, this week, my goal is to get, you know, my quad strength back or to get full extension at my knee and kind of focus on the little things that are in your control. That, that, that's great advice. Uh, I, have you heard of blood flow restriction? Uh, yes. Yeah. Have you used that like with your clients at all or? I actually haven't, but I've heard many great things about it. Um basically once, you know, once you allow the blood flow to go back to the area, you're getting all that increased, you know, like platelet rich blood cells to really help with healing. So, um, yeah, I interviewed, uh, Johnny Owens. He's a physical therapist who kind of came up with, or he's been uh, a founder 
uh, of blood flow restriction uh, in the PT world. He did it with a lot of uh, veterans who were trying to do some limb salvage stuff. And uh, I was like really impressed with some of the research that he came up with. I tried it on myself with my quad and it was a huge help uh, in getting like my quad to kind of fire up again. So I think that'd be a good, maybe yeah. a good thing for, for people to, to think about. There's some cool techniques too. If you get some really, um, some really thick bands and you basically wind up your quad with the band and then perform like full range of motion squats and things with it. Voodoo floss. And then, yeah, exactly. Voodoo floss. I didn't know if you'd know what I was talking about. Yeah, exactly. I, I use that literally every single time before I do anything active because it's the only thing that makes my knee not hurt. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so awesome. You know what that is. <laughs> yep, I, I started off, but it, it, I had a physical therapy physical therapist teach me that technique like from day one she started that and I was like immediately better I was like holy crap I'm like where the hell was this the whole time uh, right it's so eye-opening how instantaneous it works you know yeah and that's why what that's what made me think that the blood flow restriction would be good too because there has to be some element of blood flow restriction while you're like wrapping that thing around mm-hmm. your leg um, definitely that's what it's kind of mimicking you know yeah so as we kind of wrap up um where can people find you on social media like what's your handle what's your website uh my website is genactive.com so it's j-e-n-n-a-c-t-i-v-e.com uh and all of my handles are the same twitter instagram they're all at genactive that's easy i'll link everything up in the show notes and you have a (laughs) a lot going on on your website and like a, a ton of incredibly valuable resources so like what kind of stuff can people find on your website Um, well, a little bit of everything. Um, I have a bunch of blog topics. I also do custom blogs. So if anyone has a request on something they're having trouble with or an area of pain they're feeling in their knee, I'll basically do an entire customized blog post to, uh, that issue because more than likely lots of people are having, you know, similar issues. Um, I also have a a place where you can actually share your comeback story and I pick certain people to feature, uh, each month in my blog posts on their comeback story. And, uh, shortly, probably in the next 48 hours, I will have links up to order my new book, Surviving Seven. So cool. It's a great book. Everyone go out and buy. I'll definitely be buying a copy so I can get, increase my knowledge on, uh, on, on, the ACL injury itself and how we can prevent it from happening in the first place. Um, Um, Actually, there's one other thing, sorry, I thought of. So this is something I haven't really told anyone, so I might as well announce it here. But um, when I go through my next surgery, I'm going to actually video the entire process and that will be available on my website um, so that people can basically tune in every single day of my recovery and follow their recovery along with me. So uh, that will be recorded and available for years and years to come for anyone who has this surgery in the future. So that's going to be really exciting. Really cool. A little video blog going. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so what last two questions. What's, uh, what's okay. your advice to the athlete listening to this who just tore their ACL today maybe? Ooh. Um, one, one, well, a one-liner. A one-liner. Uh, be open and vulnerable to this process and, and what it's going to do to you. Um, it'll kind of bend you and break you and shake you. So if you're ready and open and vulnerable for that, you're going to learn and grow so much through your struggles. So that's, that's the biggest thing I could say. I love it. Don't, don't fight the process. Awesome. Uh, (laughs) and then last question, which I ask all my guests, uh, is what's your personal definition of toughness? Toughness. Um, To me, toughness is really found in the ability to never lose sight of yourself or your goals, no matter what setbacks or hardships that that happen to you. Um, I think, especially regarding ACL injury, we always hear about the athletes who make that ultimate comeback, which is amazing, um, and how hard it is for them to endure all of that stuff in the physical physical and mental battle. But toughness to me is kind of more with those athletes that we don't ever hear about, the ones that don't return to play or return to sport. Um, It kind of lies 
with those who sort of decide to create a new path and decide to have confidence to help others and and sort of never lose sight of the greater goal, whatever their greater goal is. <laughs> well, you're the toughest freaking person I know, and I, I, <laughs> I agree with that. And that's what I'm trying to do is redefine what toughness is. It's not about going out there, sucking it up, sacrificing your body, uh, lifting the heaviest weight, you know, scoring touchdowns. That That's not tough. Anyone could do that. Uh, the tough thing is doing right. what, what you're doing and doing what I'm trying to do too. So I, I really like yeah. that. Um, and Jenna, thank you for coming <laughs> on the that. show. And uh, I, I have no doubt that you're going to change the world of knees. And I'm really excited <laughs> to see what comes of your book, Surviving 7. Everyone go out and, and, uh, and grab your copy. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime.